Greetings, everyone. This is the Sound Health Options Show with Richard Talk to Me Guy and Sherry Edwards. Good morning, Sherry. Good morning, Richard. It is wonderful to hear your voice. We thought we had flubbed up last week's uh, Tuesday show so bad because we couldn't get on, we couldn't get started. And to hear you say today that it's blog talk just erases my guilt. <laughs> so <laughs> thank you for being for being here and, and telling me it's not really our fault. Uh, it is spring here in Ohio. It's beautiful. The buds are out. Time for renewal. And we've been doing lots of shows about renewing um, people's personal foundation. We've been talking about greed, control, power, uh, complaints, out of power, truth, trust. So our guest is going to fit right into that as we look at reframing what's going on in our own lives. So we're very happy that James Miller from Lifeology is going to be with us. We'll be with him in a few moments. We have a couple of announcements. Um, Our In the News keynote is up, and it has been accepted by Nexus Magazine as a column. So this week, the frequencies for... Gardasil are what's at issue. So if you're having any of those issues, can't think right, you're kind of out of balance, go look it up on the Internet, some of the things that the Gardasil shot does to you by way of uh, symptoms and side effects. So if you're having any of those in the next 10 days or so, what we've done is jump on NASA's site and look at the frequencies that are coming to Earth and try to match them with our databases that we've created here um, at our sponsor's um, organization, the Institute of Bioacoustic Biology and Sound Health. So lots of biflavonoids, it looks like, will help with some of those um, side effects. But we also have an article that we've done about it, and we've put pieces of that article in the keynote about how the frequencies of Gordicil really are very similar to the frequencies of infertility. And we have tried to see what is really going on with that by um, viewing a lot of charts of people who had the Gardasil shots pre and post. And it's pretty surprising what we've come up with and surprising about how some of the researchers of Gardasil has come up with information and associated it with um, infertility. One other short announcement Sherry Tenpenny sent to us that uh, vaccines, um, people's body are adjusting and they're becoming immune to it. So Sherry Tenpenny is one of our greatest supporters for doing research before to see if kids or adults are going to have reactions to vaccines, and it seems that quercetin, a biflavonoid, is one of the things that can help with not having those reactions. We did sports performance last week. It was a great show with uh, Leroy Mon, one of the Brigham Young University uh, retired basketball players. So we have given away that software uh, to people, and you can go online and listen to that soundhealthoptions.com under radio. I think it was Direction for Truth. 
and you can find out how you can get uh, free software for your own use. And for those of you um, interested in the Gardasil, we have put up on our Sound Health portal our workstation, online workstation, and you can test yourself against some of the Gardasil um, side effects. And that's free. You just go on soundhealthportal.com, go to campaigns, and um, just submit your vocal print, and they'll send you a printout. We've still left um, breathing and the 9-11 toxins up there that uh, came raging back when all of the forest fires were going on in uh, Richard's part of the country. Is any of that residue still left? People still hacking and coughing and having trouble, Richard? Well, as I wander about and walk around and visit various areas, I do notice that there seems to be a lot of what I would call sort of bronchi- leftover bronchitis sound. People aren't aware that that's what it is, but I, I know that sound of that deep bronchial cough. And especially, I, I would imagine, about 25 miles north of here where about a 1,000 homes burned down, in particular one development that burned completely down of about 500 homes, I bet as they do construction that that would probably be an occurrence, but I don't know that anybody's really aware of that yet. So, yeah, there's got to be some residue. One of the things that we're finding with the vocal prints that are coming in, and that's one of the reasons we have all this on the uh, web so we can gather data, is they are experiencing poisoning from Mirax, just like the 9-11 folks, it's from burning of insulation wiring. It's the, the uh, rubbery stuff on the outside of the insulation. So very similar kind of reactions. They called it the fireman's cough. Now we'll call it the California fire cough. But we were really able to help a lot of people. And that's what we do here at the Institute, teach classes to people. Our two-day class for people learning the software is free. And we give you the software to use, um, so you have nothing to lose. Now, one person asked me, Richard, why we give these softwares and teach this two-day class for free. And it's because what we do is so in the future, so Star Trekky kind of thing, that we can look at people's voice and or use that little tricorder thing and see what's going on and heal people's bones and whatever. It is so new that we just want people to be introduced to it without having to outlay a lot of money, even though the Mayo Clinic and MIT both have picked this up and are now using it, MIT and all the military bases, from a project that we did with them. So we're very happy that it's coming out. We sort of kept in the background because we didn't want to be shut down, so we're just going to kept our mouth shut for many years. But we're just now stepping out and sharing this with the public. So we're really happy that people are with us today, uh, are on our chat. Are we going to entertain questions today, Richard, from our guests? Yes, I will. Yes. If people want to uh, join the chat at Blog Talk Radio, because today we don't do WebEx, we just have Blog Talk Radio, you can go to soundhealthoptions.com. Click on the radio tab and then click on the blog talk radio tab 
and that'll take you to the link to get to Blog Talk Radio if you sign in, which is free, and they don't spam you, and I'm not that I'm aware of, sell your information off. Uh, you can sign up for free at Blog Talk Radio for a free account, and then you'll be able to sign into the chat. You'll go to Blog Talk Radio and search for Sherry Edwards, and uh, the over 600 hours now, I think, of shows that we have there uh, will show up, and then also you'll be able to see the current show, and you'll just sign in, click on that link, and it'll take you right there, and you'll be able to sign into chat, and you'll join the... Uh, <laughs> there's quite a crowd in chat now, and you can type in questions there, and also I'll post things that we talk about. Uh, I'll also add, because I know this is going to be one of those shows people are going to want to listen to afterwards, because James is uh, quite fun and has a lot of really good information about, oh, life. Uh, what a concept. And you can go after the show, about 10 minutes after we end the show, you'll be able to go to, again, back to soundhealthoptions.com, click on the radio tab, and then click on the Blog Talk archive player, and the last five shows that we've done will be there. And this show will be there about 10 to 15 minutes afterwards. You can also go out into the world of iTunes or Pocket Cast or Dogcatcher or any of the catcher podcast aggregators and search for Sherry Edwards and you'll find all the shows. Those take a couple of hours typically to get the shows posted. But I know you'll want to go find it. Absolutely. Um, thank you, Richard. One of the things that we try to provide the people are tools and solutions and options for making your life a little better. So we also appreciate you tuning in and taking time from your Sunday to be with us. Richard, do you have announcements? I have a single announcement. Um, I have a, a, a piece I was trying to stay. I've been trying to stay with the positive environmental theme, and I think this is just really cool. Uh, this is out of the Energy Mix uh, magazine. And the article title is, Quebec embraces zero-carbon aluminum while Swedish firm powers steelmaking with hydrogen. So the goal, what all those words mean, is that they're producing steel using hydrogen power. And the hydrogen, when you burn hydrogen, you end up with nothing. The only byproduct of burning hydrogen is a fuel source is water. Zero other emissions, only water. And it's a clean technology. You can produce hydrogen by running an electrical current through water, and it disassociates the H2, the H from the H2O, which is hydrogen. And you can gather that, and collect it, and then pressurize it and put it into a tank. There are also cars coming out now. There are two in California, uh, one by Honda and one by Toyota, that are hydrogen fuel cars. And they run on not really fuel cells, they run on hydrogen fuel as a gas. And so what they want to do in, I believe it's Sweden, they're building a plant that is going to be in a pilot program by 2020. And one of the backers of the plant is Apple Computer. And the reason that Apple wants to back this is Apple wants to produce each, currently, each iPhone, and I don't know how many millions might be billions by now. I'm not sure. But it's a lot. A lot of iPhones out there. Every iPhone uses about 11 grams of aluminum in its frame, in its structure. So there are about a little less than, there's 28 grams in an ounce. So it's about not quite an ounce of aluminum per two phones. 
So Apple wants to produce those out of greenhouse gas, GHG, greenhouse gas-free aluminum in the smelting process. So they want to back this plant that's going to use hydrogen fuel to produce greenhouse gas-free aluminum, which I think is just, you know, it's, it's good to see a company, one of the richest companies in the world, although I think Jeff Bezos would give them a run for their money with, App, with Amazon. Uh, but, I mean, I just think it's a great thing to see countries wanting to really step into this and then see big companies like Apple go, yeah, we want to support that. We're going to help fund this. So that's just an amazing concept that you would produce a product with no greenhouse gases of any kind. And it's exciting to see that's certainly not the trend in this company country. So it's it's great to see other countries stepping in, doing it, and as I say, giant companies like Apple going, yeah, we want to do that. Let's do this. So that's a really wonderful idea. And the fact that they're already doing it, other countries producing steel. I didn't know that they'd been producing steel using greenhouse uh, hydrogen as well. So that's my... You're, you're concerned for Mother Nature and keeping us up on all of this. Um, I love it, Richard. I just don't have time in, in my life to keep up with everything. So I'm really happy you do and let us know what's going Thank on. Thank you. Well, I, as I say, I'm always excited to see a trend in this instance um, to see the, a, a company the size of Apple step in and say, yes, we advocate for this. Let's do it. It's too bad it's not happening here, but it's happening, and maybe it'll become a trend. That would be amazing. Uh, so that's my only announcement. So I think it's time for James. James Miller is a licensed psychotherapist and piano composer who resides in West Palm Beach, Florida. He's been in the mental health field for 20 years, working in all types of settings, prisons, residential treatment centers, outpatient clinics, universities, partial hospitalization programs, and most recently was in private practice in the Washington, D.C. area for the past 11 years. He's the executive producer and host of the nationally broadcasted and syndicated radio show, James Miller Lifeology, which reaches over 3 million listeners per show. James teaches his listeners practical tools and techniques to help them simplify and transform their spirit, mind, and body. James joins us to discuss his passion of life and his work with jamesmillerlifeology.com. Good morning, James. Good morning. Thank you for allowing me to be a guest on your show today. How, I'm just going to jump right in. How did you evolve from sitting in a room one-on-one with patients to being a syndicated radio show with an audience of 3 million listeners per show? I mean, that seems like (laughs) you go from being, I mean, admittedly, I'm standing alone in a room, so I kind of understand that part, that you're still not, you know, out in front of an audience. But I mean, that's quite a jump to go from, one-on-one counseling, one-on-one therapy, to, ta-da, we're doing radio shows now. How did that happen? That's a great question. I I actually, um, from the age of three years old, I've been in front of audiences as as a performer. Um, I was a, in in undergrad, I actually was a 
a music major, so I've been singing and playing the piano since I was three years old, and so I've, I did a lot of acting, I did movies, so it's very natural for me to be, I guess, an entertainer, if you will. Uh, so for me to have the natural proclivity to be a, a mental health um, psychotherapist, but also to be a performer, and it just kind of merged together into the person I am today. Wow. I Yes, I've, I'd forgotten about the... So how did you... You were a musician... From the age of three, uh-huh. how did you jump from how did you jump from that to becoming a therapist? Those those seem slightly well, not in the same path. Sure. Well, one of the things um, I just I have a very broad interest, and um, when I went to undergrad, I actually wanted to be a geneticist. I was going to be a, um, a bioengineer major, but I got a huge music scholarship, so I decided to study music and then psychology like I said had a natural proclivity for it people would always come up and talk to me ask me for my advice even from a little boy and I was really interested in that as well and so during that time I was still performing and then even after I graduated with, from undergrad I was going to go to the new school or even out to a school in, in New York or a different school in LA to uh, for film school for acting and all of that as well but I decided at that time to t- take the safe way out and I went and got my master's um, in, in clinical counseling. And then I thought, well, I'll come back to this some other time in my life. And so I finally came back to it 20, 25 years later. <laughs> wow. And do you still, as, a, as your own form of relaxation, do you still not necessarily perform, but do you have a piano in your home? I mean, do you still play? Yes, I still play. In fact, I'm working on my third album right now. I released my first, uh, my first album. So it's the first three albums, first two albums, rather, are all original compositions, the piano compositions. I released the first one in 2013, the second one in 2015, and then this latest one hopefully will be released by the end of this year or by the beginning of next year. So, yes, I still compose all the time. I play all the time. That's one of my own um, relaxation. That's my self-care. That's something that's very important to me. Nice. Um, I know from listening to some of your shows and reading a bunch of information on your uh, website, jamesmillerlifeology.com, that you really wanted to be location independent. Can you talk about why that's so important to you and how you, how did you, did that was just like one day it was like, I'm tired of doing this. Or is it, was it an <laughs> evolution, a, a plan, a why a why is independence so important location independence so important and how did you have the aha of that i had traveled around a lot as a little boy um and even when i was in in undergrad i traveled to i think like 20 some countries in europe and i just really had that travel bug and and so to have a very successful practice in the washington dc area so every day i'd get up i'd go into my office and i would sit there all day and I really enjoyed it, but on a personal note, I just was not being fulfilled. I was kind of bored in a lot of areas. And so since we're all very well developed, if I'm really developed in one area but feel like I'm underdeveloped in others, I really wanted to create that synergy or that balance within myself or the, the symmetrical aspect of who I am. In other words, all aspects um, can be able to have their own um, place in my life. And so when I really thought about it, I thought, you know, I'm ready to make a change in my life. What would it look like? I thought, you know, I'm not really sure yet, but what, one thing I do know is I don't want to sit in my office all day. So I thought, well, that would mean that I need to be location independent. As long as I have a wireless connection, I can do whatever, I, whatever it is I'm going to do. I wasn't even sure yet. Um, 
but I'll be able to do it wherever I am. And as long as I have an internet connection and I'm going to figure it out then. So that was really the foundational piece for how everything evolved in my life was I did not want to sit in my office. That's just not how I'm, how I'm, I'm wired. I'm not wired to sit in an office all day. And did you go through, I, I know you, I, I've heard you speak in one of your shows talking about figuring out your priorities. Was this an actual process of, did you go from the, the phase of feeling uncomfortable in a certain way or being bored or those kind of like indicators of like, oh, I'd better do something? Or was it just a, that's it, I have to change? One of the things I teach uh, with my listeners is if you ever ask the question, there's got to be more than life, or I can't imagine myself doing this anymore. That can be going out with your friends on a Friday night to the same place all the time, or sitting in your office every single time, or at home watching TV all the time. If you ever ask that question in any area of your life, that is a demonstration, or that is, a, is a, um, an example of mediocrity. And so I found myself sitting in my office thinking, I can't imagine myself doing this for the rest of my life. One of the, my main goals in, in my early 20s was I wanted to be, I wanted to teach at university. I wanted to have my private practice. And I had all these goals, but I was able to achieve all of them or realize them in my 20s. And so here I am in my late 30s, early 40s, and I'm thinking, well, I've already done that. What do I do next? And so that was one of the things that I think it's really important for all of us to realize is if you ask that question, there's got to be more than life. I can't imagine myself doing this. You probably evolved beyond what your original goals were. And if you haven't continued to maintain them or develop them, then you'll find yourself in that place of mediocrity like I found myself. Was I successful in a lot of areas? Yes. Did I enjoy it? Of course I enjoyed it. But I realized the stagnation in my own life was such that I would not be able to become the person that I was meant to be um, if I continued to stay in that same place. So that's one, one of the tools that I think is really important. If you ever ask that question, you probably engage in some form, form of mediocrity. Mm-hmm. And how do we, what is the dance between serendipity and goals or goal set, not necessarily goal setting, but let's say that you, you have a list of goals or, or target points in your life that you've set in your mind. How does serendipity mm-hmm. fit into that? Do you just have to be flexible <laughs> in a certain way? How does that, how do they sure. dance? Well, well, there's a difference between looking for, having your life, you look at your life with expectancy. If I have all these goals and I'm going through the routines of accomplishing my goals, but I'm not looking for those opportunities in my life, then I'm going to, yes, accomplish those goals uh, in a very logical way. But my, my heart, my spirit is not open to those serendipitous moments. I, I would look at serendipity more as a providential aspect or just this, this connection of something that I wasn't able to do on my own. It just happened. But I think if we are not if we don't start our day with that form of expectancy of saying today's going to be a great day, I'm really looking forward to the wonderful opportunities that are out there for me. I'm open to receiving whatever it is. I've had so many, especially since starting Lifeology, I mean, many times in my life, but I can tell you so many times in the past three years, I literally have sat down or I've met someone who introduced me to someone else. I mean, I could go on and on and on. I mean, this literally just happened for me um, probably about a month ago, there's an amazing thing that's just happened that I, I can't really reveal right now. It'll be revealed probably in the next nine months, but it's, it's a huge transformation for lifeology. And that literally just happened for me sitting on an airplane um, and just randomly talking to a stranger, which opened up this wonderful opportunity that I'm really, really excited about. So going back to your question, 
yes, we can fulfill those goals that we have. You know, if you look at your list, okay, I need to do this, 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 and this. That's wonderful. But if you are not intentionally looking or keeping your eyes open for opportunities, for example, talking to people that you typically wouldn't talk to, it's really expanding beyond your comfort zone. And in doing that, that's when their serendipitous, providential, or fortuitous moments really come to light. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, that was, I, I needed a better voice. I was thought, I was in thought about the idea of we do, you know, several shows a week and the idea, kind of like what you do in your format, you interview people every week and it's amazing mm-hmm. the kind of connection. Sometimes you're talking to somebody and you're thinking, why are we talking to this person? And it ends up being either a great conversation or you end up having connections out of nowhere. So it makes you very, you know, it's it's exciting, challenging, but it makes you very uh, limber in your mind because you just you're very it makes you I can't say it's completely living in the moment, as you well know, because you kind of have to plan and you have an idea. And particularly such as yourself, you have a live show. You have to kind of go with what's happening. But it's very exciting. I find the, the you know, what I do with Sherry is very uh, fun. Fun for me is that yeah, know, kind great. of a, I like having sure. fun, it, whatever that form is. So I know what you mean in terms of that kind of serendipity of you kind of have a plan, but you may go off in some completely other direction, which is if yeah. you – I've run into people, and I'm certain we won't name any names. We've had guests or you've had guests where it's like you kind of – you have to keep pushing them a little bit to get them out of their 12 questions they want to talk about yeah, <laughs> arena, which is, a, which is yeah. also in life. I'm I'm much more well that's more of a therapeutic thing. I was just going to say in <laughs> until I in, until I broke through in a certain way, I in a very serendipitous way, I ended up being a chef for 20 years. Now I did not oh, wow. go into that intentionally. That just I got a job, I ended up really liking it. I ended up being a chef in five restaurants, four restaurants. And but it was serendipity. It wasn't. I did not have that as a goal. I didn't go to culinary school. It just happened. And I just think that as a lifestyle, the idea of having I want to get over there, but along the way there can be some really cool adventures if you stay just a little mm-hmm. bendy. And I'm certain you yeah. have great psychotherapy languaging for what that is. What I mean, really, what is that? What is that? You have a plan, but you're still open to change. I guess is what I would call that. Well, it, well, like you said, it's about pivoting. Um, the famous architect uh, Lloyd Wright, it's funny, he actually talked about this um, the story he had as a child. He was walking with his uncle, and it was a snowy day, and his uncle was walking ahead of him and going straight in the direction that he was supposed to go. And then Lloyd Wright uh, finally caught up to him, and the uncle was trying to make this really powerful and profound lesson. And he said, look, if you look back, you see that I went directly, uh, went from point A to point B, and I got here way before you. But Lloyd looked back at his own path, and he realized, but I went and saw this barn. I saw these ducks. I saw this. I saw that. And he goes, and I still got there, the same location, but I enjoyed it along the way. And I think that's one thing we all need to really recognize as well is each one of us are going to get to our goal. But if we're so, if we're so bent on having to be one way or pigeonholing into one area, one aspect, unfortunately, life just doesn't allow for that. There's so many external factors that we cannot control. But what we can control is learning how to pivot or how to be flexible with what happens. You know, life happens to all of us. In other words, rain falls and the quote good people, the quote bad people. When those situations happen, what do you do? One of the things that really help people recognize is 
we've all experienced multiple emotions at the same time. The way those emotions express are expressed may be different, in other words, in situations. But if we've been overwhelmed before, if we've been sad before, heartbroken, if we're unsure what to do, we felt all that before. And so when we go back and look at the data points of what the situations we've had in our life, we overcame it. So if I'm in a situation right now and I don't know what to do, a door has been closed in my life and I'm feeling scared, I'm feeling nervous, I'm feeling overwhelmed, I can go back into my life and say, when did I feel overwhelmed? When did I feel scared? When did I feel nervous before? And what did I do? And so with those data points, I can then say, okay, well, this is what I did for my self-care. This is what I did to help my self-esteem. Now, with that foundation of what's helped me before, now I can pivot. Now I can say, now what can I do from a place of of being proactive as a place to being reactive. So it really goes back to recognizing we all have our own goal and our mission of where we want to go, but because of external factors and variables, it doesn't always allow for that. So you just simply pivot. If I wanted to be at this one location or this, this certain thing in my life in six months, and unfortunately things didn't happen, well, I can still have that goal be in my life, but it may be pushed out a little bit more. So in the meantime, what can I do? So therefore, when that goal does arrive when I'm able to do it, I'm prepared for it even more than I was beforehand. Mm-hmm. And this may be a radical pivot or this may fit right in. How do we, is this where we can use the, you, you speak of the power of reframing, which I think mm-hmm. is really a, a big thing, a big positive thing. Talk about the power of reframing because I think that fits here with the pivoting, I think. Sure. Now, anything in life is either a stumbling block or a stepping stone. When you look at one's, um, the physicality of one's life, or in other words, let's say I come up and startle you. If I come up and startle you, of course, you can be scared. So we have a natural reaction to a situation. But then once you assess the situation, you're like, oh, it was just James scaring me. Okay, now I'm not scared anymore. So we have an initial response of what happens in our life. But once we have a second to step back and reanalyze the situation, that's when it's our responsibility to determine what we're going to do with it. That's when the reframe comes in to say, all right, am I going to allow this to continually be a a stumbling block or a stepping stone? So that when we get bombarded with something or something happens, it's our natural response for anybody to be, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? I'm really overwhelmed. But once we start to look at the situation a little bit more, that's then when the responsibility comes back on us determine what are we going to do with it. So the reframe really happens with recognizing the situation is not good at all. And then, but the reframe then comes in of saying, like I said earlier, when did I experience these emotions before? What did I do? How did I overcome it? And then now with, since I've experienced those before and I did overcome it, now I can come from a place of being anticipatory or productive or uh, find the actual answer I'm looking for. And if I don't have the answer within me, I know people around me who have been overwhelmed before, who have struggled before, or perhaps even been in the same situation. So I'm going to find it. So the reframe itself is after you realize that, yes, this isn't where you want to be, the responsibility comes back on you to change your situation. So you can't stay in that place of, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? But it's, you're doing yourself a disservice. So it's looking at saying, I may not have the answer now, but I know I'm going to find it. So when we're future-driven, when we're looking towards what's in front of us as opposed to what's behind us, that's when the reframe starts to happen. And then it looks at what we can do as opposed to what we cannot do. What we cannot do is that negative situation, that overwhelming situation that has bombarded us. We can't change that. But what we can change is on what we focus, the thoughts we have in our mind, with what we surround ourselves, with whom we surround ourselves, and those situations that allow that reframe to happen slowly by slowly by slowly until all of a sudden your reframe of the change of the situation says, aha, now it makes sense. 
you know, you look at your life like a jigsaw puzzle. Every situation in our life is just like a jigsaw puzzle. When you isolate a jigsaw puzzle and look at it by itself, half the time we don't even know where it's going to go. It's like, wow, this piece looks like it. Maybe they messed up. The, they threw the wrong piece in here. But when you put the pieces together and take a step back, it then makes sense. So, yes, we've had so many negative situations happen in our life. So many people have been traumatized, abused, and, of course, that is very painful. But upon reflection, when we use everything as a reframe to say, yes, I didn't like to go through that, but now I perhaps I'm able to help other people. Perhaps now I have a purpose of, or a mission to really empower many people. So the reframe itself is if we isolate an incident too much, that does not allow for us to really say, where does it fit in my life? And once I can find that perspective, that reframe then allows me perhaps even to launch me into a different direction. So we have the initial reaction of, oh, my gosh, to now I need to take responsibility for what am I going to do. Hmm. And can you hmm, can you give an example of that? A simple kind of, you know, this happened, that happened? Just paint that out a little in terms of, a, of an example of, let's say, an incident that occurs and how you can reframe that and turn that into a, a lesson or a, um, a skill? Sure. I'm not sure quite um, what my words sure. are. Let's, yeah, of course. Let's say someone um, has been working for a company for 20 years, and they're really excited about this, and all of a sudden they get the, the dreaded a laid off notice. Oh my gosh, what am I going to do? In that moment, you have your pension is lined up in there. You have your, your identities line, lined up in there. I mean, everything of who you are and what you've experienced is right there. All of a sudden, that aha moment of this is horrible. What am I going to do? When you step back and say, all right, when have I felt this despair before? When have I felt this loneliness before? When have I felt all these feelings? That then allows you to look back and say, okay, well, this is what I've experienced this before. What did I do? So when you have that moment of the grieving, because grief is a very natural process for anything that happens. So I, do, I definitely don't want to minimize that because then just won't go right over that. So that's the part of saying, oh, my gosh, this is horrible. That's the grieving stage. Once we move beyond the grieving stage, then that's when the responsibility happens. So now here I am. Let's say that's what happened to me. I was laid off. Here I am. What am I going to do? I'm, I'm a certain age. I'm not going to be hired. But then I start to think about, you know, I've always wanted to be a writer. And I've never been able to write this book because I've always had to work so much or my hours have not allowed me to do that. Or I'm always exhausted. So since I've always wanted to write this book and I have some downtime, what if I were to take some of this grieving that I'm experiencing and this, all these anxious thoughts, what if I were to start to write again? So then this person starts to write a little bit more and then pretty soon they now are, are a professional writer or they've written a book. So my point in saying that is this, the direction and the path that we have in our life, when something happens that we're not expecting Sometimes a closed door is really an opportunity for something bigger and better. So the point is, is that when we are in that moment of what am I going to do, the door closes, we've grieved, now we say what's next? Could this person go and look for another job? Sure. Could they look for something else in their, in their life, maybe that pivot in their, own, in their own destiny of something they want to do? Of course they can. The point is that we always have options. Options are always in front of us, but if we feel like we're pigeonholed into one thing, I now have to do the exact same job of that which I've done for years, unfortunately that door has been closed. And if we look for something to do what worked in the past, and it doesn't work today, unfortunately, we're not going to allow ourselves to fully grow. That's one thing to just really, I think is really important, is that which worked yesterday is not going to work today. You know, you look at um, Blockbuster, an amazing company. We all rented movies from them. 
Netflix went to them and said, hey, we have this wonderful opportunity to stream in, uh, movies to people's house so they don't have to go to the stores. And Blockbuster is like, no, we're the leading company in this. We do not need your work at all. We don't need your company. So um, Netflix went and they changed. They, they started their own company. And unfortunately, Blockbuster is out, of, is out of business. My point in saying that is that we have to shift and allow ourselves to grow and develop with everything that's around us. So may have what worked with your resume 20 years ago may not work today. So it's learning how to be relevant in your own life. And that's when personal development is so important. Personal development isn't about growing when you're struggling. Personal development is doing that every single day. What are you doing every day in your life to grow and develop? Uh, for example, for me, and this is just an example, I'm no better or worse than anybody else. For me, every morning, um, 30 minutes of when I first when I wake up is to really help my spiritual side. And then my, my, um, my schedule allows me to do about 90 minutes of the gym sometime during the day. And then the rest is going to be doing what I do. So I have my spirit, mind, and body that I do every single day. So that's just an example of how people can – and implement these things in their life. So remember, self-development is every moment we're growing and developing by asking ourselves, what am I learning about myself right now? But if we only feel like we can grow and develop when something powerful or negative has happened in our life, well, success or development is really like a bank account. You can only take out that which you put in. So if I'm not personally growing and developing every single day, when that time comes, when I'm overwhelmed with something, what am I going to draw on? So that's something to maybe think about with all your listeners today is what are you doing every day to make sure that you are growing and developing? Are you learning something new? Are you listening to something inspirational? Are you, are you um, really enjoying your time with your friends? Are you learning something new? Are you laughing more? All of those are wonderful opportunities to grow and develop. So when you do need this, when something does dire, when something very negative in life happens, you can then draw on that strength to say, yes, I found hope when there seems to be no hope. I have a question from our audience. It's rather sure. long, so I'll, I'll try to put it together. Um, a young woman, she is 20 years old. She was raped by her uncle. A child resulted. Uh, she's now 20, has three kids under five. Her mom watches the kids. She works two jobs. She wants to know how she can find the opportunities uh, for meditation and change and reframing? That is a wonderful question. And congratulations, young lady, for you being able to be so successful in everything you're doing. It sounds like you've done a fantastic job with those kids. You know, that's a very difficult question. You know, I, oftentimes people think meditation is half hour, 20 minutes of closing your eyes. Meditation, we, when we look at it, there's let me back up. There's actually many different versions of meditation. You can have a mindful meditation. And what that really means is you can actually use your five senses. If you're walking in, in a park, or let's say your kids are playing in a park right now, um, using your five senses to really allow you to anchor yourself to your environment. For example, um, if you're use, looking at your, using your eyes, your eyesight, to say, what am I seeing around me? I can see all these kids playing. How fun is that? I hear them laughing. I hear, I hear the wind rustling in the leaves. I can feel the fabric of my socks and my shoes. I can uh, feel the wind on my face. I can taste maybe the moisture in the air. All of those things are so important. So meditation is not the basic version that we always think like we're in like a yoga studio and we're meditating or chanting. Meditation can be simply focusing on something. You know, to keep in mind that meditation is not um, 
chanting a mantra, meditation is whatever you focus on, whatever you think about over and over and over again becomes a form of meditation. So when you are struggling and it's like, oh my gosh, how am I going to find time to do this? Just even in your thoughts right then, you can say, I'm struggling right now, but I know that there's a future and there's a plan for my life and I'm, I'm going to focus on that. So just even having that in your mind over and over again is a form of meditation. So if you can't, if you can't use your five senses in that moment to, to really pay attention to your surroundings, to anchor yourself, then you can really think about what your thoughts are because the more you think about something over and over, the closer your life becomes towards it. For example, if I take a coin and I bring that coin close to my eye, that's all I'm going to see. That's just like your thoughts. If you bring a certain thought or really analyze it, bring it to your eye, that's all you're going to see. So the same, same thing I would say to you is when you want to grow and develop, which it sounds like you do, which is wonderful, then what you keep telling yourself. And so what you tell yourself every moment when you're thinking about it, consciously thinking about it, that becomes a form of meditation for yourself. So it does not have to be the traditional version of meditation. It can be your own thoughts that you say over and over again because the more you believe it and the more you say it, the more it will come true. So you're saying that she should start with her own foundation, trying to realize where she wants to be, what she wants to do. Um, and I think there are probably resources, uh, Penny, in your community, uh, your church, uh, the welfare department or whatever they call that, community action, that may be able to help you with your children and uh, find a place for you to go to school, uh, better yourself. But uh, what our guest is suggesting that find your center first, your foundation first, and then go from there. Is that kind of right, um, James? Yes, that is correct. And yes, Sherry, uh, there's going to be wonderful programs that she'll be able to use in her community, but it all starts with your thoughts. Whatever you think on, you'll become. And I don't say that to minimize your struggle at all, because I know it's perhaps easy on this side of the, of the mic to say that to you, because I don't know your struggles. But what I do know is that what you tell yourself, you'll become. For example, if you whatever you tell your kids, uh, that that's what they're going to become. If you tell them with hard work, you and the talents that you have, you'll be able to be successful. Those things really instill that power of 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 that security within them. So it's the same thing with, within your own mind. Whatever you tell yourself becomes what you, what you believe, and then your belief becomes your reality. So I would start with your thoughts. Well, we've, we've uh, interviewed uh, Bruce Lipton a number of times, and he really focuses on the idea of what I call ourselves or listening. So that fits right in. Now, he's talking more about health and environment and those kinds of issues, but it still seems to me the same, that if we get, uh, wouldn't have to call it a mantra, but a kind of thinking, you know, if we take our, our loop and turn it into something that's a, more of an affirmation rather than a negative against ourselves, it seems, you know, our cells are listening. Uh, exactly. they, they're paying attention. And a way to really interrupt that looping thought as well. So, for example, if I, if I could catch myself saying, James, your situation is always going to be like this. You're always going to be lonely. You're always going to be heartbroken. You're always going to struggle with your finances. If I can catch myself with those thoughts, what I would tell people to do is, you know, like I said earlier, your five senses are used to determine proximity, danger, um, the situations around you. So if we're too internal and if we're really struggling with our emotions or anxiety or whatever it may be, we have to go external. So what I do is if I'm personally struggling with something, what I will say, I will literally say aloud, James, stop. And so I may say, James, stop a hundred times in five minutes. And then I will use my positive affirmations or the, 
the the data that I have to disprove whatever whatever I'm thinking. So if I have all these negative thoughts, because the way our five senses work, when I speak aloud, it literally causes my mind to listen to what I'm actually saying aloud, which quiets down the energy or how much I hear that looping thought go over and over again. And then just like we listen to people when they talk, whatever you say aloud becomes part of what your subconscious listens to. And so that's where we could be a great uh, quote unquote cheerleader, if you will, to really help us interrupt or break down that loop, those negative looping thoughts that go over and over again by simply speaking aloud and counteracting what we're thinking by saying, no, I'm not always going to be heartbroken. No, my finances are not always going to be this way. I'm growing and developing. I, there's something bigger and better in my life. And the more often you hear that, the more it starts to change and interrupt those negative looping thoughts. And then, of course, with, with whomever you surround yourself will also be able to really influence you as well. So, yes, you may be incredibly busy, which it sounds like you are, but it comes from what you think. And if you're struggling with your thoughts, uh, what would someone who's positive or maybe more affirming in your life, what would they say? And so you can use what you think they would say to you as that external voice, which is going to help you pull yourself out of those internal looping thoughts. This seems like a perfect opportunity to talk about the possibilities of engaging the three-second rule as a lifestyle. Can you talk to us about the three-second rule? <laughs> sure. The three-second rule, goodness, I think we can all deal with it. So the three-second rule is essentially it takes literally three seconds for you to self-sabotage. So if I have this great goal that I want to get up, in fact, I have clients who do this, and I'm like, seriously, I can't believe you're making this goal. Some are like, I'm going to get up at 5 a.m., and I'm going to go to the gym. Okay, we all know that that's not going to work. But so they have this alarm at 5 a.m., it goes off, and if they wait longer than three seconds to sit up in bed or turn their alarm off, they're going to shut the alarm off, and they're going to go back to sleep. So the point is, in every time you want to make a change in your life, you have to be prepared that our body and our minds and our thoughts are immediately going to go back to what we've always known. So it literally takes three seconds for you to catch yourself before you re return back to what you don't want to do. That can be um, going down, let's say you're in a you're going grocery shopping and you know you want to stay away from chocolate or you want to stay away from sweets. Well, if you happen to walk by the sweet aisle and you don't catch yourself, the next thing you know, you, your cart is full of all these sweets. So you have to remind yourself, okay, this is a potential difficult time for my life. I have three seconds to really be mindful of this. All right, James, as soon as I have this thought, what am I going to do? I immediately implement that which I know is healthy for me, and but make that choice within three seconds because if I don't, it'll be so easy for me to fall back and return to those negative things I don't want to do. So my suggestion to all of you listening today, if you're going to make a change, whatever that change may be in your life, you want to be as anticipatory as possible. For example, these people who wanted to work out really early in the morning or just work out in general, what you do is you have your clothes lined out. So as soon as that alarm goes off, you immediately throw your clothes on. If you have a pre-workout drink, it's already ready. If you have your coffee ready, it's, everything is ready for you because you have no excuses. If you're in this grocery aisle and you know that's something that's going to be difficult for you, what, you, what do you do? Well, you know you're coming up to it, so your goal, your, your option is to turn around and go the other way because you're not going to be influenced by that. So you want to figure out what are the pitfalls and what could stop me from making this change in my life? And so let's be anticipatory and let's figure that out so that I don't have the excuses to return back to the negative thing that I don't want to do because I really want to make a change. And so it is important for each of us to prepare everything in front of us. And so we may have an idea to change something and we may have all these 
uh, opportunities for self-sabotage, but then we just have to figure out, okay, well, I struggled here, so then let me, what's the workaround? Well, let me have my clothes ready. Or I struggled here, um, I wanted to go to happy hour with my friends instead of going to the gym. So what do I do to make sure that these potential roadblocks, I can mitigate them or get around them before it even happens? And so but keep in mind, if we're not mindful of that, it's very easy for us to self-sabotage within three seconds. Hmm. It also seems the three-second rule seems also an excellent opportunity on occasion to practice uh, self-forgiveness, <laughs> so that when you yeah. do <laughs> fall back, go back to sleep or hit the alarm, that you don't beat yourself senseless because that's useless, and that you actually yeah. give self-forgiveness, and the next day you actually follow the three-second rule. Um. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's very true. You know, I always like to think of life as I mean, there's 24 hours in a day. Why not reset your day within 24 hours? You know, I may have this great goal to do something, and I didn't accomplish any of my goal. And if I have a habit of, you know, always saying, James, you never do this, or you never do that, which unfortunately those thoughts, if I have those thoughts over and over again, could be a version of my core belief. And so instead of beating myself up the next day, they're just simply saying, you know, today is a brand new day with new opportunities. I have new strengths. I have the new um, power to do something different. So let me reset. Let me work on self-forgiveness today. I screwed up yesterday. I wasn't happy with it. Where were my blind spots? Let me start over. So for all of you who are struggling, if you're not able to self-forgive in the moment, then think of it within 24 hours. Start your day afresh as if it's a brand new day, because it is, and you have brand new intentions, brand new opportunities to do something different from that which you did not do yesterday. So it's a wonderful way. Literally, you close your eyes, you wake up. Wow, it's a new day. Let me forgive myself and start over. I like what's behind that, that um, we should forgive ourselves our past, uh, because I tend to dwell there a bit about things. But I have a question from the audience, and there seems to be a some follow-up. This is from Joanne. Sure. And she says, in our Hi, society now, we are... What's being thrown at us from authority seems disorganized and chaotic. How can we separate what belongs to each of us individually? And then I love this idea, um, separate question, of helping people find their core beliefs. Uh-huh. So if you could answer sure. the question and then go into yeah. core beliefs, that would be great. Excellent, sure. Well, Joanne, the first part of that, uh, the first part of that question is essentially if you find or anybody finds that we're reacting in a way that feel we're disempowered, we're feeling overwhelmed, we're feeling fearful, it comes from a place of dis, disenfran- disenfranchisement. In other words, we just feel this, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Unfortunately, that's coming from a place of reactivity. So yes, there may be powers that be that have all these different rules, and, and in that respect, we're not able to, to perhaps have a voice outside of our home. But what it does, it allows for us to say, okay, what can I control? We look at that from a sense of I can control my thoughts. I can control how I react to a situation. I can control what happens to me. There's a really famous uh, psychologist named uh, Viktor Frankl. Very, very amazing guy. Uh, what Probably one of the heroes of, of, of psychology for me. He was actually in the concentration camp. And he lost his wife. He lost his children. And he realized when the Nazis were torturing him or doing all these things to him, he realized in that moment, I have a choice. I can focus on loving these people. I can, I can focus on hating these people. I can focus on how I would torture them. I can focus on whatever I want because they've taken everything away from him. But what he realized was that he had a choice that nobody could take away his perception of the world. Nobody 
could take away his will to live. Nobody could take away that which was within him. So what we really need to focus for ourselves is what can we control that nobody can take away from us? And if we find that we're living in a life of fear, of worry, of doubt, of insecurity, that's not coming from a place of our truth. And, of course, we've all been there before, but it comes from a place of who am I? What can I control? What is within my, the four walls of my house? That is within me. But if we leave our house with that fear and anxiety and doubt, we've lost the center of who we are and what we are able to control. And we can control what we think on, what we perceive, what we believe to be true. And that is something nobody can take away from us. Hmm. And then to answer on the second part of that, the core beliefs, I, I didn't, did you want to follow up with that? And then I can go to core beliefs. No, go ahead. No, 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 that's good. Go ahead. Core beliefs themselves, it's, um, we all have what's called childhood templates. However, we were raised as a children. Um, of course, many of us had wonderful childhoods. Some of us had very difficult childhoods. But the reality is we learned our place in the world, um, either from being encouraged or discouraged, whatever it may be. Um, we recognize what the world looks like based off of what happened to us as a child. Usually it's uh, years one through five really determine how we look at the world. And then as we grow older, those childhood templates then evolve or devolve rather into how we see the world as an adult. So sometimes we are perhaps engaged in a situation and when we <laughs> take a step back, we're like, wow, I literally just threw a temper tantrum. I mean, we've, we've all done that. I've, I know I'm, I've done that. So when in that moment we can realize, okay, well, perhaps my core beliefs in that moment really manifested itself as a five-year-old that I just uh, had this temper tantrum. The way to really look at your core belief is if you're struggling in any situation, if you're overwhelmed, if perhaps you've made a mistake or you're embarrassed or something really negative has happened, listen to what your thoughts are. If your thoughts say, James, you're always going to be this way. Or, James, you're so ugly. You're so stupid. Or, you're never going to amount to anything. It's, it makes sense that somebody, somebody would leave you. Whatever those thoughts are in your mind is exactly what your core beliefs are for that particular moment. So, and when you look at the theme of what that is, if that's rejection, if that's low if insecurity, if that feels like you have a poverty-stricken mind, whatever those things are going to be, those core beliefs really manifest themselves when we're under pressure. So your thoughts in that moment are really going to tell you what, what's happening. And so that's, but sometimes it can be, I'm struggling, but I know that there's hope. And that's another way to look at, look at that as well as that's a form of resilience. So it's, the great news right now is we can change those core beliefs because when we hear those negative thoughts, just like I was talking earlier to the, to the, other, um, the other audience member, whatever you hear in your mind what you, how you can counteract those core beliefs is by speaking aloud. No, that is not true. I'm not always going to be this way. My life may be difficult right now, but I'm confident that it's going to change. I am not stupid. I am not ignorant. I am not ugly. Those thoughts can be changed, but the only, only way to change them is to capture those thoughts and recognize what is my core belief. And you'll know what your core belief is when things really get difficult for you because that's when those thoughts will come out. And you're like, aha, that's really what I think. Because obviously when things are going well, we're not going to think those thoughts at all. But when things are difficult, that's really when those core beliefs manifest themselves. There's actually what's called um, cognitive distortions. In other words, that's a fancy term in psychology, but in, for the layman's terms, it's called thinking errors. There are 15 different common thinking errors that each one of us use which cause us to have some type of negative interaction in our life. Um, you can look up common thinking errors online, or you can simply go to my website, jamesmillerlifeology.com, and in the article section there, there's a, um, an article I wrote called Thinking Errors. So how it works in psychology is whatever your perception is, whatever you believe to be true, 
determines what your feelings are. Your feelings then determine how you interact in the world around you. So the way a thinking error works, which is really a manifestation of your core belief, is that thinking error is kind of like the lens, like you use like a like a like the glasses, the lens you put over the situation, and which skews what's really happening. And then with that skewed perception then says, aha, this is what I'm supposed to feel, and now this feeling is what I'm going to do. So some, some ideas of what um, the thinking errors would be, was, in other words, another fancy term would be uh, catastrophizing. Basically means everything is worst-case scenario. If you feel like everything you do, oh, my gosh, what happens if this happens or this happens or this happens, and you get, you're just riddled with anxiety, that's really a thinking error. So what we would do in that situation is if we looked at what's worst case, which is what you're thinking, versus probably what's the probable outcome, what's more than likely going to happen. And when you remove that thinking error of catastrophizing or removing that worst case scenario, you can look at the situations, probably what's going to happen, specifically with what's happened before, it will give you a really good indication of what is go- what probably will happen, which then decreases your, no- your amount of anxiety, which then helps you interact with, the- with whatever situation you're going to, ha- to be in. So going back to your to your core belief, if you have this fear of rejection all the time, people are never going to love you, that then will manifest itself in a certain thinking error. That thinking error skews every situation, which causes, which reinforces your levels of rejection within your, within your body, which then causes you to shut down, to isolate, to feel, um, to perhaps be angry with people. It comes out in many different ways. So what you really want to be mindful of is anytime you or someone else has a negative interaction with somebody, a thinking error was used based off of one of the core beliefs that one of you has. I'm gonna I'm gonna jump slightly because I see us surprisingly moving toward the close. But I want to talk about the in amongst everything that we've talked about and that you've said, where do we place gratitude in here? What is the <clears throat> Yeah, let's talk about gratitude. I think gratitude is something that you know, often we, we think of it more kind of going back towards this level of mindfulness or this, once again, you're in a, perhaps a yoga studio where you sit there and you're grateful for something. Coming from a place of gratitude in itself is everything around us is a gift. You know, often it's, it's you know, you look at a lot of perhaps some of the entitled kids nowadays, they expect everything. And um, for whatever reason, that's perhaps the culture at times. But coming from a place of, I'm just grateful that I have a beautiful, I have a place to live in today. I'm grateful that, I am able to talk to individuals today. We come from a place of what am I doing right now? And this is a gift for me. It's nothing I earned. It's just simply a gift. And when we come from a place of being grateful for every second of our life versus I expect to have this all the time or I'm entitled for my next breath or I'm entitled for this conversation, it comes, it allows us to switch our place of I'm so humble and I'm so grateful for every second of our life, which brings us back to being present in the moment which gets us out of our head, out of those looping thoughts. When we come from a place of I don't deserve this uh, in the sense of I don't deserve the next breath, but I'm grateful that I do have a – I'm able to breathe. And that comes from a place of humility as opposed to the place of of expecting something or being entitled. So each one of us, every second that we have, 
is a second that perhaps other people haven't been able to have. And so we want to maximize that in everything we do. You know, it's interesting. I've heard myself talk before. I've had other people say, James, you just seem so positive. And the reality is, yeah, I'm pretty positive, but I'm no different than anybody else. And so everything I say are things that I teach. So for me, even this has been a great reminder for me that every moment, be grateful for it. You know, I'm going to hang up the phone here shortly, and I have other things I'm going to do, but I'm grateful for the breath, the next breath that I have. I'm grateful for the time I'm going to spend later with friends. I'm grateful for these other opportunities that I know are going to happen tonight. So it comes from a place of gratitude in the sense of I'm humbled and honored that I have these opportunities because, you know, like uh, I think it was Joanne had said earlier, so much has happened in the world around us. Well, so much has happened in other countries that perhaps are different than ours. So we really want to come from a place of I am just grateful as opposed to I'm entitled. And when we can switch our mentality and understand uh, the difference between those things, you'll see that the world around you starts to change. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like that. Thank you. Um how do people work with you? Where do they, I mean, this is the part where I want to get, have you give everybody your contact information and, and that. I mean, you have an amazing YouTube channel. You have a pile of radio shows. How do people work with you now? Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's just simply go to jamesmillerlifeology.com, and you can find all the information there. You can read the articles that I've, I've written for you. You can uh, see my YouTube channel there. You can hear all the uh, – my national radio show there. You, there's so many things there, and if you want to work with me, everything that you want is housed at jamesmillerlifeology.com. And on social media, it's James Miller Lifeology, except for Twitter, which is James M. Lifeology. Everything else, you can reach out to me on all the social media. I will do my best to get back with you. I really enjoy interacting with all of my listeners and all the, the guest spots that I do as well. Great. Thank you so much. That was, that was a fast hour. I knew it was going to be a romp, but <laughs> it was just as I thought. And I'll remind everybody once again that if, when you want to re-listen to this or share this with friends, go to soundhealthoptions.com, click on the radio tab, and then click on the Blog Talk Archive Player tab, and the show will be there in about 10 minutes, uh, maybe 15. Let's say 15 minutes. And um, that was really great, James. Thank you so much. And everybody Thank have you. a great rest of the weekend. Thank you. Uh, We'll see you on Tuesday, everybody. Bye-bye.